This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Anne Nicholson-Weber, and my guest is Philip Dawkins, who is the writer of the show currently playing at About Face in the Victory Gardens Biograph space called The Homosexuals. Um, yeah, it's been extremely well received, uh, deservedly, and so I wanted to talk to Philip about how it came to be. So I guess maybe the place to start is the beginning. I know that you've said in other uh, interviews that the the germ of the play was being at a party mm-hmm. with a group of people you didn't know that well, but who had a community that you were impressed by and interested in. Is that? Yeah, I, I guess I would call them tangential friends, mm-hmm. you know, uh, friends. But then I got to see their circle, their very close knit circle, mm-hmm. um, that I wasn't a key point along that circle. Um, and going to that party and just sort of sitting on the outside and watching them, uh, I guess it sparked more than I thought because I went home and dreamt about it all night. I ah. just was kept seeing these circles over and over. And there was just so much unspoken history that they dragged with them into every room. Um, I don't know. I was very impacted by it. When you when you see something and go, oh, my God, I'm watching theater, mm-hmm. you know, like re- mm-hmm. happening right in front right, of me. And right. uh, that started the spark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I went. I veered very far from it in different directions. But that was, yeah, that was the germ of it. Although I would say that the play ends, having gone backwards in time, mm-hmm. with a similar party. Yes. I mean, right? So yes. it's still there. Yeah, the party is still there. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot, obviously, in the play. Let's start with the title, uh-huh. um, The Homosexuals. And that, I want to ask about it because I feel like I don't know in the gay community what is the register of that word? You know, I think everybody has, when it comes to labels and when it comes to identifiers, everybody has opinions. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I hear homosexuals being used less frequently. I know some people attach negative, um, you know, connotations to it. I feel like it's kind of clinical. You know, mm-hmm. it feels like, mm-hmm. it, like, uh, you know, rodentia. You know, right. <laughs> it seems like the scientific sort of, um, definition uh i happen to really like it because and i've said before because it it implied in the word is what i am attracted to i also remember i i grew up a very very religious christian conservative and i I went to a very conservative christian school Mm -hmm. elementary through high school and i remember one of my teachers so I think she was an English teacher. I don't even know why she was talking about this, but taking some important time to lambast, you know, gays and homosexuals. And she told us to be, oh, this is why it was, it was a literary thing she was talking about this. Okay. She was saying that, um, you know, be, pay attention to the words people use to, to, mm-hmm. uh, especially when it comes to identifiers, because the gays want you to think that they're happy and they're joyful because they call themselves gays, but we must call them homosexuals because it calls them out as the perverts that they are. Nice. And um, she's a hateful human being, but I, I love it. I love calling myself a homosexual, and I love putting it out there and saying, this is what I am. I also happen to be gay. I also happen to be queer. I'm all of these things, but this is what I love. I love men, mm-hmm. and I think that's important to know about me. Mm-hmm. And I love, I mean, I love the marquee outside the biograph, just as the biograph, the homosexuals, and it makes me... So happy. Uh-huh. I was out there when, uh, the Untouchables tour bus came by. You saw all these, uh, all these tourists looking like, oh, that's where Dillinger was shot. What on earth are they showing? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And, uh, that was, that was great. It, it makes an impact. Yeah. 
Well, let me just go back one step because I was really interested in your saying that it's a clinical word mm. and so maybe kind of objective or something. What about that is correct for this play? Hmm. Well, there are a lot of um, different characters in this play actually use the word and define it mm -hmm. and say what it means to be homosexual. And they all say different things about it. Mm -hmm. And I think they're all right, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but they do go about defining each other and defining themselves and saying we are homosexuals. I think Peter says this is what we do. We're homosexuals in reference to something that I think his his ex-partner would not agree with, right. you know. right. Um, or, you know, or may. So, uh, there is a fair amount of classification mm -hmm. and, uh, our lead character, Evan coming to terms with how he wants to be classified, how uh -huh. he wants to be identified or not. Mm -hmm. Um, and he actually calls it out as, as a dirty word. He calls it a dirty word. So what I think you just said though, that really made sense to me is that to you, the title, the homosexuals implies this kind of scientific way that we make categories mm -hmm. and that a big theme in the play is each of the different characters' effort to define or reject a category. Finding out who they are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about another really um, striking thing about uh, the play as it now has turned out, which is um, that it goes backwards mm -hmm. in time. Um, and people who love the theater will think instantly, for instance, of Pinter's Betrayal, which mm -hmm. uses that conceit. Um, is that something that you knew you were going to do all along, or did that come later in the writing process? I didn't know I was going to do that all along. Uh, I think I was halfway through the first scene when it came to me, and mm -hmm. then I started over. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I was actually reading T.S. Eliot's uh, Four Quartets, um, and the last one, there's a quote about, you know, uh, all of our exploration, well, we shall arrive at the end and know mm -hmm. the thing for the first time. That's yeah. a major bastardization of that. But... Right. Um, it struck me, and I, I thought, well, that's how we tell stories. We start at the end. You know, when we, you know, when you meet people and they say, well, how do you know each other? So, well, we met, and you go backwards because you're starting from here. Mm -hmm. You know, and this, this play is so much about, or it deals so much with history and with friends' histories mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. So it did make sense to me mm -hmm. to go backwards. Um, so it, it creates, um, I guess, a kind of, irony you would say because we know as we get finally to the beginning we know exactly how it all plays out right we do know where they end up but we also they're not finished mm -hmm. at the beginning of the play right you know it's not the end of their journey i think i guess what i'm struggling for is be, i think because the end the, the beginning which is the end chronologically mm -hmm. is kind of sad and um I, I guess to me it felt like something of a failure in on the part of the main character, mm -hmm. um, uh, and that that's because we come in at, the, at a breakup of a relationship, which mm -hmm. we haven't seen. We haven't seen the relationship, right. so that of course makes it very hard to judge. But it seems like kind of a downer that that's where mm -hmm. he ends up, so right. to speak. <laughs> Is that your own take on it? Would you defend it differently? Would you explain it differently? Um, I probably wouldn't defend it. I mean, I, I like that that's what, what you got from it. I also, mm -hmm. people have told me that they thought it was very strong of him, uh, of Evan, to say, like, look, I tried this. I love you. This mm -hmm. isn't working. Yeah. I, I finally do know what I want. Uh -huh. um, yeah. yeah. But I love that you use the word failure because mm -hmm. failure is um, one of one of the things I'm most interested in uh, in this play and in 
many of my plays. I'm, I'm actively exploring failure mm-hmm. and what it means to fail. Mm-hmm. And is it even possible, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, mm-hmm. right. and how to be okay with that. I mean, knowing, knowing where you're ending up or knowing, I mean, we do know where we end up. We all know where we end up. We're all sitting here dying. So how do we be okay with that? Mm-hmm. You know, right. and is that a form of failure? I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by the idea of how we measure success. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, when we lose people, which is, you know, happens all the time and I've never been okay with it. How do we get to a place where that's okay? Mm-hmm. And where the when journey you, when is When you say right? lose, do you mean by death or by uh, the loss of the, re- the loss of the relationship? Well, I meant by death, but I guess, you know, you lose people other ways too, certainly. Yeah. Because um, this play in some degree is about not losing people, notwithstanding the breakup of right. various sexual and romantic relationships. They right. continue as friends. And is that, are those successful relationships? You know, the right. word success, or did they fail? I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. I think I'm so much more interested in the journey. Yeah. You know. And it, the road trip isn't about the destination. Right. It's about the, the licorice and the games you play in the car and all the, you know. It's the, the music, whatever. Right. Yeah. The songs. Well, um, let's talk about the the development of the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know nothing going into this interview about that. I know that you started writing it. at You got the idea at this party. I don't know when the party was. Mm-hmm. How long ago was that? I think it was 2008. Eight, so three years. Mm-hmm. And once you did you just write a first draft? right then? Uh, I did, which is bizarre for me. I usually mm-hmm. do a lot of research up front. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, usually pretty research heavy, but this one wouldn't leave me alone. So I uh-huh. started writing and then I left holes where I knew I, or I would say, and then something happens here. Right. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> and right. then, then I went and did more research and more thought and mm-hmm. was a little more careful with it and went back, reapproached it. Um, but yeah, I did write it in 2008. It did. So it clearly did not it did not start in 2010 as it mm-hmm. does now. The play starts in 2010. Right. Um, which was, uh, Bonnie, Bonnie Metzger, our director, uh, she had the brilliant suggestion of like, it should probably span the decade, mm-hmm. you know, which is, uh, so it always went backwards, but it used to go backwards from 2005 to 99. Interesting. Um, mm-hmm. and so it's interesting. A lot of people have said, in in reviews and interviews and stuff that, that Dawkins clearly wants to write a, a, a decade defining play about homosexuality. Well, I didn't. Right. <laughs> but thanks for the credit. But right. I was really just trying to tell a story about these people. Right. Um, and it was Bonnie's great and correct idea mm-hmm. to expand it, mm-hmm. um, which I was able to do in 2011 because we knew we knew where we were, we're going. We knew the it. end. Well, so, okay. So now you have a draft. It's 2008. Then what did you do with it? Then, okay. So this is crazy. So I called my friend, Dan, who I'd always wanted to work with, um, uh, Dan Sturmer, and we hadn't worked together before. And I said, would you mind putting together a reading? Mm-hmm. He's our, he's our assistant, uh, director mm-hmm. and he's did a lot of work on this show and mm-hmm. it's, and you can really see his fingerprints and his, his work in this. Um, but I asked him if he wouldn't mind putting, a reading together just so I can hear it out loud and mm-hmm. just invite people. I said, sure. So we put it together in the now defunct aviary uh, space. And uh, Scott Bradley was in that reading. Uh, ben Sprunger was in that reading as Evan. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Stephen Cohn was in that reading. And then, uh, but what happened was we were going to do it. And then the, the day or the late evening before that reading, uh, my gallbladder decided it didn't need to work anymore. 
and uh, I was doubled over in pain. And I got to the hospital and was rushed into immediate surgery to have a gallbladderectomy. Not to be talk about clinical, but um, so I was actually under the knife and in surgery when that whole play went on. So I did not hear it. They did the reading anyway. They did the reading, and Dan filmed it, Uh and my other friend Dan Cox uh, recorded it in Uh his lap on a little, you know, whatever. Um, and then Dan later brought me the recording in the hospital while I was recovering and I listened to it and did all my rewrites in the hospital, but it made the scene in the hospital quite eerie yes. and a little bit telling, right. um, and very strange. So huh. those people, I've had people come up to me and say, I was at the first reading and I say, that's great. I wasn't, I, <laughs> right. but I got excellent feedback because people, mm-hmm. I wasn't in the room mm-hmm. and people, they just left the recorder on a stool at the end of the talk back Mm -hmm. and people as they you know drank and talked with people and stuff could come up later and pick it up and say oh we had another thought Mm, about and just speak directly to me not to speak to the world or have themselves heard right it was the best feedback i ever got on any play and my buddy had had the audio recorder in his lap so i heard every time he laughed i heard every time he shifted in his seat Mm. i heard every time everybody in his row shifted in his seat it was just really helpful fascinating yeah yeah so, so you had that first reading. You recovered from surgery. I recovered from surgery. Dan, who was uh, who's an ar- artistic associate of uh, About Face, and I am now as well, he brought the script to About Face. They had their own process with it. A year later, Bonnie called me into her office and said, so we want to do the homosexuals. Wow. So it was the quickest turnaround I've ever had on any of my plays. People probably, not and nobody except a playwright or the wife of a playwright, <laughs> knows how miserable the process of submitting plays um, is. But it can be rough. It, particularly if you cold submit, essentially. You can wait a year, you can wait two years. Forever. And never hear anything right. Um, so to have something, and, and the wisdom is that the best way to get produced is to be produced by people who know you one way or another, and this is another example of that. Yeah. Um, so, so then you went in, so was there any further development other than the rewrites you did in response to the reading before you go to rehearsal day one? Um, with I, d- I continued to tinker with it mm-hmm. and then we had production meetings beforehand and, um, that's when, that's when Bonnie suggested expanding decade, it. Right? Yeah. Um, and as well as a couple other suggestions. And so I, I did a a larger rewrite on that and then the actors showed up and realized that they didn't have to age five years they had to age 10 yeah, right <laughs> hi sorry um but they're great they you know they're actors yeah they were like sure i can do that um and then you know as a, you know when you're in rehearsal things come up and and questions get asked and mm-hmm. and uh there were tweaks along the way i think uh, I continued rewriting up until the morning of opening night. Uh-huh. So, hope that, you mean I tried not to do much of right. that for for the actor's because, sake, right? Yeah, it's not fun for them to be learning no, no, a different no. script every day. But we had a lucky. We were lucky in that we had quite a few previews. Mm-hmm. I uh, certainly I'd never had that many previews in a process before. So I I really used those to work and listen to the audience and listen to what what flew and what didn't you know mm-hmm. so and it's interesting you described from the recording that things you note obviously laughs mm-hmm. and this we haven't yet said is a very funny play mm-hmm. <laughs> and laughter is a big part of it but you also talked about shifts uh in the seat are there other things that you are conscious that you're absorbing when you're trying to gauge how an audience is responding 
Gosh, I don't know. I mean, the thing I couldn't get from the reading is the energy in the room. Yeah. You know, I couldn't feel the energy in the room. And I do try to take note of that. Um, and are you literally sitting there with the script and saying, oh, everybody's shifting. Oh, I can feel the focus. Oh, no, I never. Lost. If it's I have the like script that. in front of me, then I'll be reading it and I don't need to read. I mean, I need mm-hmm. to be watching and listening. And, yeah. But I'll have notes and I'll usually furiously write something that is illegible later. And if uh-huh. I can't remember what it was, then it wasn't important. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Given the state of my memory, I'm not sure that's a good test. But yeah. um, but then I'll see it the next night and I'll remember. I'll go, oh, oh no, I wanted, that was, I wanted to change that. Right, you know? right. So it does come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when there are a lot of things that happen in the process of previews, um, one is, and, and rehearsal too, one is obviously the way something lands on the audience. That's the preview. Mm-hmm. But the other very important thing is you see your actors wrestling with your text mm-hmm. and their character. And I'm always interested to hear, did you discover things about your characters seeing them through embodied by these particular actors? Have you changed mm. your ideas about any of your characters, who they are, because of the performances that you saw? That's a really good question. I mean, yes, now I think of these people as as these performers. Right. You know, now I, if I say one of the characters' names, I think of these performers. Uh-huh. Um, there, there had been some big changes based on... Um, but that happened during casting age wise and ethnicity wise. And, uh-huh. um, and then, but then we have such a fabulously talented cast. Um, I was like, I have these talented actors. I might as well write to all of their strengths. Mm-hmm. So there were some things that I threw in cause I knew they could handle it or, or mostly threw in like, Oh, I know you can do this. This will show you off here. Mm-hmm. This will show you off here. So mm-hmm. I, I tried to, uh, work to the strengths of all of these actors mm-hmm. and as long as I know who they are and I know them I might as well right give them something really fun to do you know so but, to some degree it's written on these actors I mean you had a pretty complete draft but then there begins it's like to having a shirt and then you give it to somebody and then you tailor, tailor it, it to, to yeah right. so mm-hmm. I mean the shirt existed but certainly right. want to give it the best fit right yeah that's very interesting well another uh, topic that I found myself mulling over after the performance was how you write comedy that doesn't seem arch or artificial. In other words, most of us in the real world are not as funny as your characters. Mm. And I would imagine there's some struggle between some zingy one-liner that you think of Mm -hmm. and characterization. Is that true? I don't know. I know a lot of really funny people. I should hang out with you. You should, yeah. (laughs) Come on over. (laughs) We're great. It's all one-liners all the time. No one ever actually completes a thought. Um, (laughs) You know, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't think about whether or not I was writing a comedy Mm -hmm. or a drama. Mm -hmm. I just tried to listen to what the characters wanted to say. Whenever I say something like that, I sort of make myself throw up. It's like I tried to listen to my characters. I tried to be in the moment or feel the energy Mm -hmm. in the room. But it's true. I mean, that's that's what I think. I try to listen to the characters and. How do they want to say what they want to say? Mm-hmm. And uh, how will they say it in a way that I'll want to hear it? You know, audience right. member number one is me, right? I'm the first person to read it. So am I going to be interested in this? Great. And then it mm-hmm. moves on out from there. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know that I thought about it much. I do think uh, 
like Peter. Peter's funny. Yeah. I think Peter knows that he's funny. Yeah. Um, and he's interested in being funny. And Evan calls him out for being funny in, in, in inappropriate, right. what he thinks are inappropriate situations. Right. We actually had a great, Scott Bradley, who's just a, a whirlwind. We had wonderful conversations about what humor was in the gay community and how it has been a tool mm. and how it has been um, used to get people through unspeakable things and how, um, you know, he can speak to it better than I can, but he said something beautiful and made me cry in rehearsal and he wasn't trying, but just about how, you know, when your friends are all dying and they sit there and make a joke about their, their sores or they make a joke about, you know, not being here next week. It either was devastating or it was how you got through. Yeah. And, um, he was talking about a certain generation of gays who deflect using humor because mm -hmm. that's what they've got. Yeah. And if they didn't, they wouldn't, they would have made it. Um, one of the themes I would say and, and others have said uh, about in the play is, um, changing, uh, approaches to mm -hmm. being gay, let's say, over time, from mm -hmm. one generation to another. First of all, do you think that's there? Did you mean it? <laughs> I did. Yes, yeah. I did. And can you give us the Cliff Notes version of, of your belief about that, how that has changed? Um, well, let's go extreme. So the, the, the homosexuals who do not appear in this play, I would say, are people like some of my students, who I have students who are gay and identify as gay in high school, who have never had to come out mm -hmm. and that is baffling to me that they and and you say they've never had to come out because there was never a moment where they needed to they they came from supportive families who told them that mm -hmm. you can be whatever you want to be I see. and then one day when you know mary brings home jenna mm -hmm. uh then it's time for the parents to you know, pay up on that. It's right. like, yeah, we said you could do this. And so here it is. So there was never that moment. And it doesn't mean that they're not going to encounter prejudice somewhere, you know, but, right. um, but there wasn't ever that moment of having to announce to the world, I'm gay. Is that okay? Right. Um, so that's the most modern generation. That's like, I don't, I don't even know how to wrap my head around that. And it's so beautiful. And also, I don't know what a generation of gay people is who've not come out. Mm -hmm. right. I don't know. You know, I, I joked with a friend of mine once who uh, we were talking and, and she was mentioning when she was a teenager um, the moment that she tried to kill herself. Mm -hmm. And then she said, without even asking if I did, she's like, so when did you try to kill yourself? Wow. And I answered. And then and we, we went around the table. I was like, well, when did you try to kill yourself? And it, and that's horrifying. And it didn't. It was like the third person when we got around to when I remember when I realized none of us had asked if yeah. we tried to kill ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And, um, and that's, that's part of my, you know, that's part of my experience. I know there are people my age who that's not part of their experience. Certainly right. not. Right. Um, so it is changing as things progress, mm -hmm. things are going to get better and better and better and produce a different set of experiences. Right. And I think it is getting better and better and better. It's important to realize that it's not always getting better and better and better, mm -hmm. but in many ways it is. Right. Um, but the generation who came before me and the generation who came before them, but their experience is not my experience. Mm -hmm. I didn't lose my friends in the number, uh, you know, in the ridiculous, horrifying way that they did. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen to me. And I think speaking, you're talking about AIDS. I'm talking about AIDS, yeah. you know, like, and I think there's some people who are resentful of that. I think some people who are grateful for that. Uh, 
I, people I, who are resentful that that you got to miss that, do you mean? That I that I missed it, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That I missed it. In the same way that I think there are people who are resentful of kids who never had to come out. Mm-hmm. Right. You, you know? have it so easy. You didn't you, you didn't go through what I went through. Right. And I think it's fair. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair when there's not a respect or a desire to learn right. about the people who brought you to these better times. Right. If there's a if there is a flippancy about that right. or a disregard for it, I think it's fair to say you need to sit down and listen to me. Right. You know? Right. Was there anything that has surprised you about the reaction to the play? Oh, so much. So much has surprised me. I uh, People have been cheering. Mm. And I don't <laughs> like people specifically women have been cheering for Tam. Mm-hmm. Like actually She's the one woman cheer, character. Yeah. And and Elizabeth Lato who is just a blessing. She's fabulous. She's just a blessing. And this is a wonderful part for her. Oh my god, isn't yeah. she fantastic? Uh Women have actually been cheering in the audience at certain lines she mm-hmm. has and certain things she delivers. And uh, I didn't know that I had written some lines that, that some people just needed to have spelled out. Yeah. You know, and I have seen, uh, I saw a woman in front of me like repeatedly hit her friend in the arm and, and cheer and go, yes, yes, yeah. like this is what I have been trying to say. Right. Um, and I didn't know that. I didn't know I was writing a, an anthem, but... Um, and she, what is it to? What's the anthem to? What are people responding to in her character? Well, she she sort of calls herself out as a mm-hmm. fag hag, though nobody else calls her that. Uh-huh. Um, and she references the guide, the rule book, the fag hag rule book, and calls out what she's allowed to do and what her boys are allowed to do mm-hmm. and um, and what she says goes and it's just going to be that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, she, when she spells out certain of the rules... Um, that was the recognition. That, that was the recognition, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think people really dug on like look these are the rules do not cross them right you know well it's interesting um because i wasn't sure what you were referring to the you said again before the interview started that she is actually the one autobiographical element in the play and that's because you also have taught in chicago public schools as your character does for 10 years (laughs) um uh, and and i'm interested why it was her who became that aspect of you on stage do you know I don't. I also, I should say it's autobiographical, but the, the person I had in my head is a very fabulous actress named Cynthia Castiglione, who's also a teacher. And, uh-huh. um, she's, she is getting her Montessori, uh, certification this summer. And, um, but she and I have team taught. And so, so uh-huh. I, I actually thought of her, but this, the story is, um, very similar to mine. And, uh, I don't know why. I came out through Tam, but uh, I started writing her, and and I fell out, and there it was. And I thought, well, I might as well just let it. Right. I might as well just let it go. Yeah. Um. I've also I have I should say I've been surprised at how much heterosexuals are enjoying the show. Mm. There's been so many people coming up to me and saying, "This is this is my story. Thank you for writing the story. This was I felt like you were talking about me." And do you understand what they mean when they say that? Yes. And what do they mean? Um, I I think at its heart, this is a story of friendship through the lens of sex mm-hmm. and a circle of friends who stick it out with each other even when there is a, a high level of sex involved. Mm-hmm. And what is that? You know, and it's a question that we've been wrestling with since Lysistrata to when Harry met Sally to, you right. know, and I think right. everybody's been there. Right. And I think 
even if you can't identify with every character in this play, there's hopefully and usually one you can go, oh, that's me. Yeah. That's me and my circle of friends. And that's what I keep having people telling me. They'll come up to me and say, I'm, insert name here, in my circle of friends, I'm the... I play that role. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think in my own experience of it was that, first of all, I always think it's very odd to talk about any play as a black play or a gay right, play. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's like saying... You know, Arthur Miller's plays are white 1950s plays. I mean, right. it, every story is set somewhere, and that really is a very small component in general of right. what the story is. Um, but I think there, when I call the play The Homosexuals, I have to accept that it's, it's going to be a gay play. <laughs> well, okay. I, I have to just kind of let it, let it go and be fine with that distinction. But yeah. But I it. actually am objecting. I, okay, you, yeah, go. I love I that. Mean, because why? I mean, why yeah. is it defined by the particular essentially setting i mean Mm. it's it's um but on the other hand you know just like a play set in japan and you know like the the feudal japan uh, samurai movies it's fascinating to enter a world that in some ways you don't know and particularly when it's a world that you see that Mm. you're around that you're very aware of but there are things i learned about the culture of this world that i didn't know and that's fun so there's kind of visiting this foreign land aspect to Mm -hmm. it at the same time as the recognition i mean recognizing yourself in a place where you didn't expect to find yourself is such a joy as an audience member for me i love that yeah so i i i love the idea and it's happening it's a reality of people going to see a play called the homosexuals and they would never identify themselves that way, coming out and saying, I saw myself in that play. Yeah, right. It's also really funny, and that's great, and yeah. touching in places. So, Thanks. Um, uh, it, you know, certainly it was my experience that, that that the setting was not in any way, you know, alien alienating. Great. Even to the extent that it may be unfamiliar in some ways. Um, last topic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very bold to put sex on stage there's one real bedroom scene Mm -hmm. um and i wonder if you struggled about that i think that sex is something that the stage is very tricky to sex and violence both you're right yeah film can do that and the stage is much harder but even still like how do you i think that the struggle is how do you continue telling the story Mm -hmm. And how do we not just stop for this violence or stop for this sex scene? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like my interest is how do we continue learning things about these characters while this is happening? Because so often you'll see a movie or something and they'll stop and have sex. You're like, and well, it when does, does the story right. telling Start. continue? Yeah. yeah. But the, but the thing I'm referring to that's, that film doesn't have that, that uh, the stage does is that you're in the same room with these people mm-hmm. engaged in sex. And that is a very strange situation mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that just doesn't happen just very much and there's there's that aspect of i don't know complicity or voyeurism or something that happens when it's live actors in front of you mm-hmm. and and i should just say for listeners it's uh, actually they're not nude and it, yeah it's it's but these of, boys are so sexy i don't think they need to be nude <laughs> well, that's <laughs> I mean? very true some I, great bodies up there yeah there's there's some like yeah. it's it's just as nude as nude because they are some good looking guys yeah but my question is did you struggle with that did you worry about doing it um i didn't but i have to say when i showed up for rehearsal after they blocked that mm-hmm. it was way sexier than i ever thought uh-huh. i didn't i expected that would be um yeah, they went way sexier it with expli- it. More explicit. Yeah, they actually went further with it than mm-hmm. I. And so I came in and suggested some more comedic, you know, because mm-hmm. um, 
They keep their socks on, which I think is comic in and of itself. I love that they keep their socks on. <laughs> I just, that's amazing to me. Um, there's wonderful choices being made throughout that scene. And yeah. it is, it is, I mean, of all the things that I saw this play last weekend with my parents. And that was the scene where I thought, oh, I, may, I might have right. to duck out. I right. don't know if I can be there with them with uh-huh. this. Yeah. I think I, I kind of suddenly had this picture of your parents listening to this. And, oh, um, <laughs> if they can figure out how to get it to come through their computer. Their All computer right. is particularly stodgy. So. <laughs> well, I really appreciate your coming uh, to talk about it. And Thanks. I appreciate being here. Thank you so much. Thank you.